Amen. Matthew chapter number 7. Very familiar portion of Scripture this morning, beginning verse number 13. The Lord Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount. Verse number 13, Jesus said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate. Broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Look at the words he uses here. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Verse 15, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns, or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. That means hell. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Verse 15 says, Beware of false prophets. And if the Lord will help me this morning, I want to talk to you on the simple subject of beware of false prophets. The Lord Jesus Christ here in the Sermon on the Mount gives a warning to the children of the kingdom and tells them to beware of false prophets. And today we know very little and we understand very little about what the Lord meant here. We understand very little about false prophets, but if God will help me this morning, I'll tell you some things that may be a little different than what you're accustomed to looking for. A false prophet, if you'll study that little two-word terminology in the Greek language, means a religious imposter. Now, you have the idea that a false prophet means someone who stands and foretells the future and they tell it wrong. That's only a small part of the definition of a false prophet because to prophesy has two different meanings. To prophesy means to foretell or to foretell the future. But the word prophesy as well as foretelling means to forth. It means to make a bold proclamation or a profession. Revelation 19.10 says, I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That's what the word of God says. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. 
And if the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, then a false profession and a false testimony is a spirit of false prophecy. And this morning, if you have a testimony of Jesus, and it is not a true testimony, if it's a false testimony and a false profession, you are a false prophet. The Word of God tells us several things, and I want us to see the determination of the false prophets. Here you see a great dissension take place among the religious Jews who adamantly reject the king. And reject the kingdom. When Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, the Lord Jesus Christ steps beyond morality and steps into the realm of motives. Now you get a hold of this this morning because this is what choked the religious Jews. They had no problem with morality. But their problem was their motives. Their problem was what was in their heart. Most of those who heard him speak had moral standards, number one. Number two, most of them thought they understood the kingdom of God. And number three, many of them thought they were fit for the kingdom because they were Jews and the children of Abraham. And this morning I see a direct parallel with the Baptist church. I see many people who think they understand Bible salvation, but they do not truly understand what it means to pass from death unto life. I see lots of folks in the Baptist church like these pious religious Jews that have moral values and moral standards, but you don't love Jesus. And you see here that there were many who thought they were fit subjects for the kingdom because they were children of Abraham. And this morning I see folks in the Baptist church who really honestly believe that because they acknowledge some real historical facts and figures about the Son of God, because they've made some kind of profession in an altar and prayed a prayer and publicly professed Christ and been baptized, that they are fit subjects for the kingdom of God. Wrong on all three accounts. And there is a determination here that most people in this building this morning, most of you, would not drink a beer if I held a gun to your head. Most of you this morning wouldn't cuss if I held a gun to your head. But you don't love Jesus. You have a moral standard. And your moral standard may be higher than everyone around you. But if you don't love Jesus, your moral standard don't mean doodledy. The Lord Jesus said all of the law and the commandments hang on these two. To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And the second like unto it, to love thy neighbor as thyself. And a lot of folks this morning have a moral standard. But they don't love Jesus. 
I don't have any idea what your motives are this morning. I don't know why you're here. I'd be willing this morning to believe that there's some that sit here and you don't really know why you're here this morning. It's a tradition. It's the ceremony. You know it's right. You're supposed to be in church on Sunday morning. But I wonder how many are sitting here this morning because of the love of God that's shed abroad in your heart. And there's a passion in your soul for the Son of God. And you love Jesus and you won't please Him. There's a story I heard many years ago of a precious young teenage girl. And she had a teenage friend, and her friend wanted her to come spend the night. And she said, what we'll do is you, we're going to tell your daddy you're coming to my house, and we're going to do this and this, and when it gets late, and my parents always go to bed early, we're going to slip out, and we're going to go party and have a good time. And her friend said, no, no, I'm not going to be part of that. And her friend kept prodding her and kept poking at her and kept saying, why won't you? I mean, what's the problem? Are you scared? Are you scared of what your daddy will do to you if he finds out? And finally, in a brokenness, that girl turned to her friend and said, no, I'm afraid of what it'll do to my daddy if he finds out. This morning, some of you may have a moral standard because you're afraid of what God will do to you if you mess up. But this morning, the standard in my heart is based on I don't want to hurt Him. Where's your moral standard? Where's your motive this morning? Those religious Jews were willing to do almost anything, willing outwardly to confirm that they were religious and conformed to the letter of the law for the sake of their appearance. Well, the Word of God said there were wolves in their heart. And yet these wolves were willing to wear sheep's clothing because it made them look good in public. And if they wore sheep's clothing, they would never have to humble themselves and admit their condition. This morning, there are many that are greatly determined that they will rob God of His glory and refuse to bow and humble themselves because they love themselves and they do not love Jesus. Determined to do whatever it takes to protect their true identity and never admit that they're lost. My heart breaks this morning because I know there's folks that sit in this building and you have a determination that you will not admit your lost condition. They had a determination and they had a desperation. The Word of God calls them ravening wolves. And that word raven means to consume or to devour greedily. You see, these pious religious Jews desperately wanted to maintain some sense of self-control. Some self-sufficiency while the world around them spun hopelessly, helplessly out of control. According to the dictates of a cruel Roman government, these Jews wanted to maintain some dignity and some self-sufficiency and they wanted to maintain some control of their life. But when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stepped on the scene and began to preach the gospel of the kingdom, this absolutely tore up their little religious world, and it so intimidated them that they despised the Son of God because it took away any form of stability that they understood. Now stay with me. 
when a man or a woman lives a lie and clings to a hopeless false profession with every fiber of your mortal being you want to believe you're right to the expense that you want everybody else to be wrong and Satan will offer you every excuse to reinforce your dark deception and the deceived poor dark heart that you have and in desperation like a mad dog like a ravenous wolf you'll tear and rip to shreds any little bit of truth that intimidates you any little bit of light that shines in your dark world to expose your dark secret you must tear it apart that's why the preacher becomes the enemy so many times I see folks I wish I didn't, but I see day by day your sin build up in your life. And the more sin builds up in your life, the more preacher Mike becomes your enemy. Because you know the truth that I carry is a threat and an intimidation to the sin in your life. And if you're going to justify your sin, you will have to tear me down. You'll have to tear down the church. You'll have to tear down the testimony of others. And you'll have to tear down the Word of God. There's a desperation. That's exactly why some folks that are in this building this morning (laughs) ought to shout the glory ought to shout the victory over some of these lost church members that's been in this church for years that's got saved by the grace of God and that's exactly mama why a lot of folks in your family and a lot of folks in this church cannot stand up and shout the glory and glorify God all over town because my 81 year old mama got saved by the grace of God because it intimidates them And makes them have to wonder what's in their heart. Oh, that's exactly right. Hey, why is it some of y'all scared to death to talk about what God's done in little old Miss Tanya? Or Miss Francis? You'd think it ought to set the woods on fire on Flint Hill, but people's hush-hush about it. I know why that is. That's intimidating. Because that takes away your security and your little false profession, your little do-nothing religion that never got you out of the ditch and never got you out of sin, never filled you with the Holy Ghost of God and love. And it intimidates you just like Jesus intimidated those religious Jews because it tore up their little religious world. There's a desperation. And you see there's a desolation. The word desolation means devoid, barren, empty, and lifeless. Matthew 7 verse 16 says, Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Verse 19 says, Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire, wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. Every one of you have fruit. All of you. You have fruit that will remain. But the question is, is it good fruit or is it evil fruit? 
Let me just give you a shining example of some good fruit. How about the change that you've seen take place in folks' lives? Let me tell you this morning, a hyper-emotional experience will stimulate a flood of emotions and feelings that will make you feel better and make a change in you. But it'll be temporary. It will not last. I see folks all the time. I see folks that are religious. My heart breaks. I went to do some business, and I'll try not to be pointed. I went to do some business the other day, and I, I, I was in the car with a gentleman who I was doing business with. He's a prominent member of a prominent Baptist church, probably 15 minutes from where you're seated this morning. He's a Gideon. He's a well-respected man in the church, gives greatly to their mission programs, and has been a real help to a whole lot of people. But I've questioned in my heart, Brother James, ever since I've known him, does this fellow know God? Sings gospel music and very active in his local church. I was in an automobile with him, and we rode down the street, and he pulled off the road. And when he pulled off the road, he used some language... Brother Brandon, that caused the Holy Ghost of God inside me to curl up in a ball. He very well in his heart may not think that's cussing. But Brother Ricky, tell me what's wrong. If he's got the same Holy Ghost in him that I've got in me, why did it cause me to want to crawl under the floor mat and it didn't bother him? Because he don't have the same Holy Ghost on the inside I've got. And if you've never had that life-changed experience that's changed your world for time and eternity, you ain't never been born again. They know you for you to hypocrite this thing. God can't clean up your mouth. He can't take you to heaven. And I keep going there and I go there and I I know y'all tired of hearing that. You stop cussing. Amen. I'll go back and plow on that again. I'm telling you, folks are in such a mess. Their heart is so dark and depraved that they can't even see their sin and they can't even see what they're doing wrong. But I'm going to tell you, when you get bored of the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost of God's got a way of putting His finger in your heart and saying you're wrong. But I'm going to tell you, when He does, it don't take you forever to straighten up either, buddy. Some simple changes that's made in people's lives. The Holy Ghost of God in you. If the Holy Ghost of God's in you, then tell me why He don't never get out on you. I've seen folks come in this building and ain't been saved six weeks. I've seen folks come in this building and ain't been saved but a few months. And there was one precious young man I was talking to just a few days ago about one of our new converts. He said, I got to watching her. And he said, she's so different. I had to ask my wife, is that even the same woman? Because her countenance is different. And there's a smile on her face. And God's got a way of putting a glow on his children. You may not shout and jump up and down and run the aisles. But if you've got God in you, he'll get out of you once in a while. I was sitting here the other day, I was, I was standing in this pulpit the other day preaching my heart out Wednesday night. 
And I watched some of you, you'd never stand up and boldly shout and scream and hoop and holler. But I watched some of you turn red in the face and tears streaming out of your eyes. And you lift your little hand up and glorified God. I watched some of these new converts. I mean like a little baby and gnawing on a bottle just eating up the Word of God. And there's something lets me know there's something on the inside of you going, mm, 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 mm. <laughs> you got God in you, why don't he never get out? Why ain't there a tenderness in your heart? I'm going to tell you two things that's been wrongly taught in this church as well as other churches. And that two things are, number one, that folks believe that the sinner's just the ones that's supposed to come to the altar. And number two thing that gets taught wrong is that only spiritual people can be vocal and hoop and holler and say amen. And they're both wrong. You know what I found out, Brother Jesse? Tender people that walk with God's got tender hearts. And it won't be some gross immorality, but God may put His finger on something in your heart. And when you're tenderized by the Holy Spirit of God, it won't bother you a bit to fall out in that altar and weep. And you don't care who's looking. You don't care what they think. All you care about is your fellowship with Jesus Christ. And it bothers me when I see folks say they've been saved 20, 30, and 40 years. And they're never moved toward the Holy Ghost of God. And they're never moved toward a heart of repentance. Never fall at it all. Never broken in spirit. You see, you think you think a whole lot of things are spiritual and they ain't spiritual. You think a lot of times just because people are vocal and say, man, they must be spiritual giants. How many of you even noticed during revival meeting that one particular night? I'll give you two examples. A precious individual came to this altar to pray. And after about five minutes or so or seven or eight minutes in this altar praying, they lifted their hands up and began some mumbo-jumbo mess. And those of you who are saved by the grace of God, something inside you wadded up on the inside and you knew there's something ain't right about that. I love them precious little old folks that come in and listen. I ain't, I want them to come, Brother Brandon. I want them to be here. I want them to get help. They don't bother me. That's why the Holy Ghost led me to say what I said before the service ever started. There's one precious lady who'll be here every revival meeting. She thinks she's a preacher, Brother Jody, and she'll stand up and try to take over the service and get to give them prayer requests and get to trying to preach. And she did it this time. But you know what? A bunch of dumb Baptists think folks like that spiritual. They ain't spiritual. Oh, they got a spirit, but it ain't the Holy Spirit. Right. And see, we need to know that. And the Lord Jesus said, beware of false prophets, Brother Jesse. That means he said you need to take account and look and try to understand what's going on around you. Yes. And as you, listen, I'm not mad at these folks. Let them come. Let them get under the Word of God. Let them get some help. But I want you to know everything that stands up and yells and hollers, amen, ain't right. Amen. You need to know that. It's amazing to me. I watch some new converts in this church and they ain't been saved for just a little while and something will go on in the church and they'll look at me a day or two later and I'll say, what's the deal with that? <laughs> you know what, Miss Nita? They're puzzled. Because they got new eyeballs and they're seeing something they ain't never seen before and all of a sudden things they used to think was spirituals causing the Holy Ghost to crawl up in them like he died. He that hath ears, let him hear. The Word of God teaches us about their deprivation. Second Timothy chapter number 3 verse 5 says, Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. 
The word deprivation means a lack. Jude 1.19 says, These be they which separate themselves sensual, having not the Spirit. They're full of flesh. They can hoop and holler and shout and carry on in the singing. But when the preaching starts digging down real deep, they get real quiet. Or they got to say amen to put on show. Real false prophets can be real believable. And in sheep's clothing, they mingle with a flock, but they do not have the Holy Spirit. And it's amazing how young converts that's just got saved can begin to recognize what's flesh and what's in the Holy Ghost of God. You see their devastation. Matthew chapter number 23, verse 15 says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you can pass sea and land to make one proselyte. When he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Do you know you're putting out fruit today, whether it's good or bad, there's fruit coming up. I thought about this, and God reminded me of this the other day when we lived, when we first got married, we lived in that little old green and cream-colored trailer. Tracy, right at the end of the trailer, there was a great big walnut tree, big one. And finally, that walnut tree got cut down. And all them big walnut trees that was around there, two other big ones got cut down and gone. Brother Tracy, you go back there today, and it's been years since them big trees was there. But you go back there in that little growed up thicket behind your trailer today, and you'll find little walnut trees everywhere you look. All up and down the fence line behind Mama's house, there's little walnut trees. And them big ones is long gone, Brother Jesse. But you know what them little trees are? It's the fruit coming up. Now, if you've got good fruit, you can bless the name of Jesus. Your fruit will keep coming up. And it'll be eternal and everlasting. It'll come back on you one day. I thank God I got to be my daddy. When I watched my daddy take his last breath in the emergency room of Wilkes Hospital, my daddy took his last breath. Miss Christie, the nurse that was attending my daddy when he took his last breath, grabbed me and Sister Lori and clung on to us and wept like a baby. Wept like a little child. That nurse that sees death every day deals with all of that she has to deal with every day. Wept like a baby. She finally, Miss Diane, gained her composure and looked at me and she said, Your daddy was preaching when I got saved. And good fruit will remain. Yes. But your bad fruit will too. Amen. You'll damn your youngins. You'll damn your grand youngins. And not mean to. You'll be the stumbling block that'll stand in the way. I used to have an expression. And people always want to tell you what to do and how to do things. And my expression was, if you're so smart, why ain't you rich? My expression this morning is if some people are so close to God like they think they are, why is their world in such a mess? Why is their family in such a mess? Why are their children, their grandchildren, hellions, rebellious against God and the things of God, rebellious against mom and daddy's religion? 
You think it may have something to do with the fact they ain't never seen nothing real in mom and daddy's religion? I remember singing in a little old gospel singing group. Me and my little old buddy, wicked as the devil, Miss Donna. Wicked as the devil. I was playing the piano and he was playing the bass. His daddy's driving us around in a big old motor home and we was going all over singing gospel music. Me and my little old buddy got to slipping off and going on the power line trail and drinking beer. One day my little old buddy said, to, he said, you're going to think this is funny. He said, but I was working with my daddy the other day up there on the farm. He said, I found where my daddy's keeping his beer. Brother Danny, I remember times that I'd slip around in church and I'd go out through the Sunday school rooms and I was tired of listening to what was going on upstairs. Go out in the parking lot find one of the pillars of the church sitting in his car listening to the car race. Slip around see one of the deacons standing on the front porch smoking cigarettes during church. Hear them tell little off-color jokes because they thought it made them look good to the young people. I know a man that almost went to hell thinking he was all right because he thought everybody around him was all right. And if they was all right, surely he was all right. And I'd call the name of the church if I could think of it. It's in Palir. But he said he was in the Sunday school in that church and his adult Sunday school teacher had all-boys class. And one Sunday morning, Brother Jason brought in pornographic magazines for his boys to see in Sunday school in the basement of the church. You say, Brother Mike, I'd never do nothing like that. No, you got too high moral standards for that. But without the motive of loving Jesus, your moral standards don't put you in no better shape than they're in. And your fruit will be just as corrupt and just as wicked as theirs will. It bothers me, and I wonder sometimes, what will it take for some people to see what their problem really is? I mean, how many funerals they're going to have to go to? How many hospital rooms they're going to have to go to? How many times they're going to have to watch their children, their grandchildren mess up and break their heart in the middle of the night before they catch on that they might be the problem? How much will it take for people to ever catch on? And you see the desolation. You see the deprivation. And you see the damnation. Matthew chapter number 7, verse number 22, the Word of God said, Many was saying to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? They deliberate. You see their deliberation. They calculate. They consider. They debate the way they evidence, and they take a vote. Satan says, you're all right, don't worry about it. The flesh says, that sounds good to me. Sin says, boy, that feels good to me, let's go with it. And your wicked, depraved heart that's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked and who can know it, says, surely all these feelings can't be wrong. And then the Holy Ghost of God says, uh-uh, you're lost. And you see their deliberation. And in their deliberation and they weigh things and they balance things and they take a vote and against all the truth of the Holy Ghost of God, they say, I must be okay. I must be all right. To the point that there comes a day that they're brought up out of the regions of the damned. Listen to this. 
The Word of God teaches that this takes place in the last day, the day of judgment, the great white throne judgment of God. These are false professors of religion, Brother Jody, that have screamed in the pits of the damned. They're brought and reunited with their physical body, brought from the charred walls of hell, stand before Almighty God in judgment. And they have so deliberated in their mind and so convinced themselves in their mind that they're right with God, that they're willing to stand and look at God and say, But God, don't you understand I'm all right? Their deliberation has convinced them in their mind and in their heart that they must be okay to the point they're willing to argue with God in the great white throne judgment and say, Lord... Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not done many wonderful works in thy name? And then you see their damnation. And Jesus said, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Iniquity is synonymous with religious sin. Religious professors... Those who say they're right with God. There's a great danger here. And I want you to get this. And then we're going to go to the house. Turn to 2 Peter chapter number 2. Let me just read you this before we go. 2 Peter chapter number 2. The context is false prophets. And false teachers in the church. But there were false prophets also among the people. Even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies. Now let me stop right here. If you study that Greek term, privily, bring in, you'll find that that word means something like this. They look at Preacher Mike. They look at the work of the Holy Ghost. They look at people whose lives have changed in the church. And the Word of God says privily. That means secretly, privately. Bring in means alongside. They would not dare stand up and say, Preacher Mike's wrong. They would not dare stand up and say, Tanya really didn't get saved. But they say, all that's good. But I'm right too. I'm okay too. I mean, I, I mean, it might not happen with me like it happened with them. And, and I might not have had the change they had. And it's just different with me, but I'm right too. Many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. We got Baptist churches today absolutely full of folks that stand and teach Sunday school, lead churches, lead singing, lead youth departments, lead Bible schools, and stand in pulpits and pastor churches. That the reason they're there is because they're vocal and they got enough guts to stand up and talk in front of people, and they're as lost as a ball in high weeds. And people will follow them. And the Word of God said that many will follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And people in the community will see how they live and they'll say, if they're saved, the woods is full of them. I got what they got, buddy. 
And the Word of God says in verse 10, But chiefly them that walk after the flesh and the lust of uncleanness, despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignities, whereas angels which are greater in power and might bring not railing accusations against them before the Lord. But these, as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of things they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to ride in the daytime. Spots they are and blemishes sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. That means a love feast. That means a worship service. That means they'll come in and sit down, shout and cry, say glory to God, hallelujah, amen. Ain't this good to be around God? And the whole time they're full of hell and the devil. And the Word of God says, having eyes full of adultery and cannot cease from sin. Beguiling unstable souls and heart they've exercised with covetous practices, cursed children which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Besor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness and was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumb ass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. Listen to this, and I'm through. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with the tempest to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever the word of God says that they can boast and they can clap like big thunder but they ain't got no rain there ain't nothing real in them and they've got a special place reserved for them in hell did you know false prophets will have a special place in hell false professors of religion will have a special place in hell you ain't in the same category with ordinary lost folks Ordinary lost folks will not receive the same degree of punishment in the lake of fire as professing Christians who are really lost. And the Word of God says in verse number 18, when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who lived in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. They say, hey, praise God, come on, do this my way. They're lost. And people follow them. And people don't have enough spiritual discernment to know the difference in a false prophet and the truth. They themselves are the servants of corruption for whom a man is overcome of the same as he brought into bondage. For if after they've escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. Listen to this. Listen to what your Bible says. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. This has nothing to do with someone getting saved, born of the Spirit of God, and then losing their salvation by turning back to sin. That ain't the context of this Scripture. 
The context of this scripture is someone who knew the truth and could have had liberty and been set free and knew what it was to be nudged by the Holy Ghost of God who knew the truth could set them free and knew what it was like to feel the drawing, convicting power of the Holy Ghost of God. But they said no to God and said yes to their religious ways. And the Word of God said they would have been better off had they died and went to hell in their ignorance than to have known the truth. God said they'll have a greater degree of punishment in the lake of fire because they knew better. This morning, folks, it's laying home sobering up, watching cartoons on television, trying to get enough stomach about them that they can eat a hard-boiled egg this morning ain't in no kind of trouble like some folks sitting on the pews of Flint Hill Baptist Church. You see, their damnation is a greater damnation because they knew the truth, but they turned from the commandment that was delivered unto them. They turned from the truth. This morning, you may be a false prophet. You may be a false professor of religion. You may not mean to be. You may not admit to find yourself in the place you're in. And I'm not mad at you this morning. I'm, don't you understand? I'm pulling for you with all my heart. I mean, with everything that's in me, I'm trying my best to pull you out of the flames before you make an eternal mistake and it's too late for you to do anything about it. Don't you understand? I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings or humiliate you. But I'm trying to help you see you ain't never had that change. But you've had that opportunity. And every time you say no, you heap more damnation on yourself. And you see the damnation of the false prophets as they have a special place in hell because they would not succumb to the truth. Do you know what, Miss Pat, would bring God so much glory this morning? Some old false prophet. Some old person that's held some kind of a piddly little old office in this church and been the pillar of the community and you're just as lost as Hogan's goat. Get up out of your pew this morning, tears streaming down your face. Fall down in this altar and say, God, I'm so sorry I ain't meant to be a hypocrite. And he'd give God great glory this morning and people would rejoice. The angels in heaven would rejoice and the saints of God would worship a risen Savior this morning. But you'll rob God of the glory you could give him by standing back stubbornly, adamantly saying no. And you'll desperately cling to something that will not hold you up when it's over. And this morning the Word of God said, Beware of false prophets. And this morning I've told you what I've told you, not because I'm mad at you, not because I'm rebuking you. I want you to know the Word of God said there's a damnation that's waiting on those who are false professors of religion. But you ain't never had that change. I asked a new convert Friday afternoon. I said, I want you to tell me something. You say you got saved a few months ago, but I want you to tell me what makes you think you're saved. What's one fruit you see in your life that makes you think you're saved? And I'm serious as I can be. They looked at me without any hesitation without any reservation. And they said, God changed my life in a way I could not have changed it myself. God ever done something for you you couldn't have done for yourself? That don't mean you don't mess up. 
That don't mean you don't get in a ditch and get out of fellowship and get all out of whack. But has God ever changed you? Put a peace and a joy and a love in you that you can't even explain. God ever made that change in you? Or are you just a professor of religion? This thing's going to judgment. After the thousand year millennial reign of Christ, after the seven years tribulation and whatever times between here and there, God will stand you up in front of the whole world one day and the jig's up, buddy. God will shine his light on your dark secret. Amen. I'm asking you today, when did you change? Are you born again? Or are you just religious?